Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it is Wood Talk number 234 for April 13th, 2015, and we're doing a weekend edition of Wood Talk, which means we have one singular topic to discuss. Now, this one came in as a request. We're actually talking about our origin stories. So if you already know us and you know our stories, you just may want to tune out on this one. Uh, you're not hurting our feelings. <laughs> right. Totally would understand. My family does all the time. Exactly. It'd be just like we're at home. Uh, go, go so watch a Marvel movie and watch an origin story there. Or- mm-hmm. Isn't that every Marvel movie, an yeah. origin story, practically? Um, all right, so Brian Comer Ford was someone who actually sent in a kind donation at woodtalkshow.com. He used one of those links on the right-hand side to, to do that. And in his email, he said, you know, I'd love to hear you guys talk about how you got into woodworking, who you learned from, your first real projects, etc. sort of an origin story show. And I thought to myself, well, he just gave me money. It would be really uh, awkward if I, if I didn't actually do this. So... We decided, hey, let's do it. So if you don't like it, you got to blame Brian. Uh, but he's supporting the show at the same time, so you got to, you know, it's kind of. You still have to blame him because yeah. that's how we're still around. <laughs> that's right. It is his fault that we're doing this. <laughs> nice job, Brian. Uh, but I thought it would be good. A lot of times we get new listeners who aren't familiar with who we are. We sometimes um, kind of, you know, it's not really good that we take it for granted that people know who we are based on what we do in the video world online, or maybe they've just been, you know, friends of ours for a long time online. So here we go. We're just going to kind of go uh, around the virtual workbench and kind of give you our backgrounds, where we came from, and uh, what brought us to where we are today. So uh, I don't want to go first. My voice is tired. Matt, how about you go first? Okay. Well, it happened to start for me while I was at a Home Depot with my wife, and we're looking at carpet swatches, and I was bitten by a radioactive woodworker. And that's how uh, – <laughs> no, actually for me <laughs> – no, that was a good story. Uh, but It's very original. <laughs> the uh, the first I think a lot of us start this way. Uh, for I bought my first house, 
And that's when I started doing a little home repair and started playing around with some stuff and was watching some of the shows and thought, you know what? There's some other things I want to do other than just put like, say, molding up on around the door or or fix something on the window or something like that. Mm. So I really started just kind of playing around with these things and doing a a little self-education about this. And on top of it, my grandfather was a quote unquote woodworker. Uh, He liked to tear apart chairs and then rebuild them kind of antique things and, and restore things. So there was always that, but I can't give him all the credit because all I was ever allowed to do as a child was to come in, sit against the wall and keep my mouth shut. That was all <laughs> I was allowed to do. Sit down and shut up, you moron. <laughs> yeah, much. No, I wasn't even allowed to sit down. I had to stand just in case I needed to get out really quick. So nice. uh, that, you know, so a lot of my origination with the whole woodworking thing is simply because I bought a house and I wanted to start doing things for myself. So maybe it's because I was a cheapskate. I didn't want to pay other people to do it. There you go. So I figured I could learn it myself and, and kind of go from there. So it started with a little bit of carpentry. So how long ago are we talking for this? We're talking about, let's see. Uh, so my daughter is now, uh, she's going to be 18 this year. So like 17, 18 years ago wow. is when this went down. Okay. Uh, and so I would say the actual woodworking, my first project was about uh, two years. The first furniture project was about two years after I had the house. Uh, so yeah, so about like 15, 16 years ago is when I built my first piece of furniture, which immediately ended up in a fire pit about three days later so that <laughs> nobody would ever see it. <laughs> you built firewood. How nice. I, yeah, that's what my family thought too. They're like, well, <laughs> if you don't use it, we can still burn it and keep ourselves warm because you don't have the money to pay the electric bill. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it was a quote unquote uh, shoe shelf for our closet, which was just a fancy way of saying my wife needed more space for her shoe collection. <laughs> and so I had like, you know, something just to kind of bridge it. So some shoes are on the floor and some are on the shelf. And it turns out as soon as you put the second pair of shoes on, uh, that uh, modulus of elasticity kicked in and therefore <laughs> <Back to> that. <laughs> it completely fell apart. Nice. So at what point did you start to gain enough confidence in the work that you were building that you kind of were proud? You, you would consider yourself a woodworker as opposed to like a dude tinkering with tools in his basement. I would say it was about a year later, easily a year later, because at that point I was really consumed, obsessed is actually the right word, with with Norm Abram. I watched him constantly. HGTV played him twice a day, and I made sure to videotape every single episode, and I would sit there and just watch it over and over and over. And then I would go down into my little workshop that I had, and my wife had bought me a table saw uh, as a, uh, a wedding gift. And so it's one of those things. I'm going to use this thing and I'm going to make something. So I'd say it was a year later. I really just was like, I'm going gung ho on this. And I have this tendency with a lot of hobbies. Like before then, I was a mountain biker and I was one of those annoying mountain bikers that had everything, knew everything and was just so into it. So when I jump into a hobby, I go just full on all out as much as I can. And so that's what I did with the woodworking is I totally jumped in there. And the first real piece of furniture other than that thing I burned was a uh, a dresser, small uh, dresser that I had off to the side. And um, we still have it. It gets hidden away once in a while under some doilies uh, that my <laughs> grandmother made for us. Uh, but it works. And it was really nice. And I was pretty happy with it. And I have no problem showing that one off. Okay, I do have a little bit of a problem with it. But um, that was the big thing for me. Nice. Cool. So, and then yeah. uh, what year, two, what, 2006? I believe is when you started doing the podcast. That's right. And the main reason for the podcast was because 
I wanted to learn even more. And I, I know you guys kind of feel very similar and I know other people are, are very much like this. It's one of those things where sometimes to really force you to learn more, it's, I, I find that if I teach individuals or try to teach people, it forces me to become more proficient at something because yeah. obviously I don't want to be that teacher that everybody goes, uh, yeah, I had Mr. Vanderlist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I'm going to have all of us answer this question too. So would you say that by getting into podcasting and teaching other people that the trajectory of your personal learning curve, like have you actually learned more or have you sort of um, become a little bit stagnant or plateaued on your personal learning? Uh, hands down, even I, I have learned so much more than I ever even anticipated that I would. Mm-hmm. I seriously thought I would just like reach a certain level and be like, all right, I'm done. This is all I want to know. Right. And even now, there are certain things in the back of my head that I'm making plans for that I may give a little lip service to and say like, you know, oh, I would never do that. When in fact, the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm making plans to do that. I <laughs> right. want to try this. <laughs> right. All right, Shannon, take us back on your foot-powered time machine, <laughs> uh, Fred Flintstone style, and – uh, give us your origin story. Yeah, harness up uh, Alex there and let's get this moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, th- there was early, early woodworking when I was a kid. Um, my, uh, let's see, I don't know how old I was when my uh, first grandfather passed away, but he was really heavily into woodworking and I-, I didn't know him real well. We were Air Force family, so we were kind of traveling all over the globe at the time. But when he passed away, my father inherited all of his tools. So I can remember... Um, I didn't know it was called the jointer at the time, but it was like this four inch jointer that was probably larger. It's kind of like computers when they started, they were the size of a room. Right. This was, this was the equivalent. It was like a four inch <laughs> jointer that somehow managed to fill up like almost the entire basement. Um, and like Matt, I was not allowed to touch anything or use anything, but I do remember, um, in typical woodworker fashion, um, my father, who I wouldn't really call a woodworker. He was just kind of had tools from his father and figured I should make stuff every now and then to justify the reason that I have them. But he kept every little scrap cut off ever, you know, imagine like a one inch cube of wood. He (laughs) kept it. There was like a a toolbox under the bench that he threw this stuff in. And I would always pick those up and just play around with them, you know, glue them to pieces and do things and, you know, whatever I was into the kid at the time, I'd build a, you know, an obstacle for my G.I. Joe tank, the motorized one, you know, the cool one to, to drive over. Oh, you, know, you had was, one of those? Oh, totally. That Jeez. was like my, that was, that was my toy for like the decade. <laughs> I blew all of my Christmases and, you know, his kids are like, oh, you don't have to give me anything next year or for my birthday next year or for Christmas. I cashed in like a couple of years worth. What a trust fund, baby. Yeah, yeah, totally. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was always kind of drawn to it, but totally fell away from it. You know, when I was a teenager and and even in through college and like Matt, it wasn't until I bought my first single family home that, Mm -hmm. you know, that that honeydew list, we're going to do this and do this and do this. And I'm like, oh, you know, I can do some of this stuff. Give me a circular saw. And um, it, it kind of coincided with my wife's grandfather um, going into hospice and he was a carpenter. He built some beautiful homes in downtown Baltimore And, you know, all his life, he'd been surrounded by tools and everything. And when he went into hospice, it was, it's not funny, but we were closing on our house at the same time. 
So the day we closed in our house, I think, was the day he was admitted to the hospice. So, of course, we went to the hospice because, you know, it could be his last night, could be whatever. We don't know. Mm -hmm. So we didn't actually darken the doorstep of our new house for almost a week and a half after we got the keys because every day after work, we went to hospice. He was a fantastic man. And um, it was funny because as a carpenter, all he wanted to do was talk about what we were going to do to the house. You know, what, what improvements we were going to make? What are we going to do here? And, you know, I joked that he was making sure that I was going to take good care of his granddaughter, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just had these great conversations. He gave me tips and advice on how to do this and how to do that. And um, when he did pass, a lot of his tools got left to me. So uh, I ended up suddenly moving into our new house, ended up with, you know, a couple of routers, uh, a compound miter saw, um, a bunch of other stuff, a whole bunch of router bits, nothing, you know, enormous like a table saw or bandsaw or anything like that. No big stationary tools. Cause again, he was a carpenter working on site. So a lot of job site type tools, but you know, right off the bat, I had quite a bit of stuff and actually had quite a few hand planes too, that at the time I was like, whatever, <laughs> throw them in a corner somewhere. Paper what am I going to do with these <laughs> relics um, and saws? And, you know, it, it was, it kind of jump started me. And then there was also a little bit of, um, I don't know, you know, he gave me the tools. I should use them. I should learn how to use them. So it was like this, this motivation to, to get into it. And kind of like Matt, I, you know, when I got into a hobby, I would go whole hog. You know, I was also did a lot of mountain biking, also a lot of road biking, and fly fishing was was my thing, rock climbing in college. If it was outside, I was doing it. And, you know, went both feet in to the point where I started learning like Latin names of the bugs of the flies that I was tying to go fishing. Yeah, I went a little, little nuts there. Um, so I did the same thing with woodworking. And it was a totally different experience, though. It was kind of like a coming home type thing. I knew my God, where have you been all my life? And I often joke like if we had had woodshop in high school, which we didn't what would have happened? You know, where would my life, how would it be different if I had taken woodshop in college mm-hmm. or in high school? Um, cause it probably would have been the same kind of transformative experience. This is what I want to do. And, um, while I still get out and go fly fishing, it becomes a, and do I really want to spend the day on the river or do I want to spend the day in my shop and hands down the shop wins, you know, every time, every now and then it's good to say, no, I'm going to go fishing instead. But, um, it was definitely just something I was meant to do. So I haven't looked back, frankly. Um, so then the same question I asked Matt podcasting, you got into that at some point you started teaching other people. How, how has that impacted your personal path? Hugely. No question. Um, being able to, or, or I don't want to say force because it's got a negative connotation, but being forced to try different things. Yeah. Um, keeping it fresh. Yeah. And you get into uh, a mindset t- sometimes when you're, when you're writing a blog post or doing a video about, you know, I don't want to just show this one way because what if somebody doesn't have that tool or, you know, um, any number of reasons you do that. So you're, you're forced to cut that joint seven different ways, maybe not all in the same video, hopefully. Um, but you're constantly pushing yourself to try new things and and do new things. And then you get an email from somebody saying, you know, what do you know about marquetry or carving? And you're like, uh, (laughs) I did it once and it was (laughs) terrible. So then you, you figure, all right, well, that's something for the future on the show. So you make your little list and you put it aside. And, you know, over the years I've picked up stuff that I've wanted to demo. I've also, 
done things that I wanted to demo that I never thought I would do. Like I never thought I would really enjoy carving and I love it. It's yeah. great stuff. So it's definitely forced me to do a lot of things that I would have never done before, you know? Cool. And then, you know, the hand tool thing, like everybody, like most people listen to the show, they know I, I was as power tool as they come. Like I just said, I had hand planes and literally threw them in a cupboard in a corner somewhere. <laughs> Those have since been restored and are now in working order again. So, um, Grandpa Bankard won't strike me down for throwing his tools in a corner. But, you know, that was that was another one of those light bulb moments. And it happened in Williamsburg. <laughs> I was just right. like, holy crap, people still do this. And this is not, I guess in my mind, I thought it was like a dead art and like no one even did it anymore. And why would you even think to use a hand tool? Yeah. Um, like even, even like David Marks rarely used hand tools. I mean, he was a major influence on me when I was getting started. Every now and then he would pull out a chisel, but you never saw David use hand planes that much. He used a router a lot. Yeah. Router yeah. was the thing, man. <laughs> that DeWalt router that he was always using and he had dialed in with the fence and then the multi-router and it was mostly power tools. Yeah, that's true. And that was what, what I, I knew. I, I still to this day still don't get the Woodwright shop on TV. Um, so I never had that exposure. I hear from a lot of people like, oh, I was exposed to Roy in an early age. I mean, Roy's been on for 30, 34 years. Mm-hmm. I'm 40. So do the math. That would have been a very early age for me. And I just never knew it. So that was another one of those took to it like a duck to water. I realized this is not only do am I into woodworking, but this is the type of woodworking I want to do. So it just kind of naturally happened. Did your whole online presence and participation in online environments, did that impact how quickly you made that switch? In, in terms of like, I, I want to be seen as this kind of woodworker because this is, this is what I think would be great for me. Oh, that's a good question. As opposed to if you were just, you know, Shannon coming home from work at the end of the day, doing a little woodworking, would you have gone quite hmm. so whole hog into hand tools that quickly? Probably. Yeah. Maybe not as quickly. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. Cause you'd like to think, Oh, I'm not influenced, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You can't tell me what to do. I'll tell you the kind of knee-jerk reaction is. But there was also kind of a perfect storm of hand tools going on, you know, thanks par- probably to Christopher Schwartz. Yeah, it was a good, good timing. Um, so that was happening. And, you know, you can't help but want to emulate sometimes how Chris works because he's, he's a good storyteller, takes cool pictures. Um, and he was putting out. He looks a little know, like his, Kenny Loggins. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. So, you know, then he started to shine a light on, on other people, which were heavily into that. Then I got introduced to Roy. That's what's crazy is Christopher Schwartz is the one who introduced me to Roy Underhill. Well, he is known for taking you into the danger zone. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is very true. That was awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it probably would have happened if I wasn't blogging just because like the little community that was, was pushing me. This yeah. is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. Um, I feel I like there's a, there's think- a pressure to be, um, to find your identity. You know, yeah, like if you're telling people that. what you're doing and how you're doing it, I almost think there's a built in pressure that says, look, you, you know, you ha- be, don't be on the fence about this. Commit to who you are as a woodworker and be that thing. And I, I would just feel like in a position you're in as someone who blogs and podcasts, you kind of feel a little bit more like you got to get on board to whatever it is your thing is going to be. Find your identity and then push forward. But, you know, from day one of the podcast um, of the of the blog for the matter, the blog was 2006 mm. podcast was 2008. I know that much, whatever 2000 something um, it, from the beginning, 
it's always been, I mean, it's the Renaissance woodworker. It's, you know, in the, in the Renaissance Da Vinci mindset, you know, it can't be tied down to one thing. It's always been that way because it was, I I looked at it. It's like, Oh, I want to build a chair. I want to build a cabinet and I want to try marquetry. I want to try carving. I mean, there's no way I could ever, you know, settle into one style or one form or subset of, of woodworking. I tried a little bit of everything. I love it all. You know, I don't do nearly as much turning as I used to do, but I still love to get, you know, in front of the lathe and, and turn some stuff out. Um, marquetry has been very, very minimal, but that's going to be big time, hopefully in the next couple of years. I, it's one of those things that's like on the list to do. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's some pressure to kind of identify yourself. Well, that's how I identified myself is, you know, well, the tagline has always been so many projects, so little time. And right. I still believe that to this day. Um, for me, though, it has been now about how do I do these things using only hand tools? That's right. the challenge. That's yeah. the fun part for me is is figuring out and a lot of times rediscovering because woodworking has been around a lot longer than power tools has been. So kind of rediscovering how that was done and what those what efficiencies came up with. Um, certainly the pace of life might have been a little bit slower in the 18th and 17th century, but people still had to get stuff done to get paid. So, you know, we move a heck of a lot slower than our forefathers in woodworking used to move because we can, because we, it's a hobby for us. For most of us anyway. Cool. All right. Well, I'll make mine fairly quick. Um, I feel like it's boring. I don't know. I don't know anything about you, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I really don't. Well, Matt, uh, since this is the first time we're talking, um, so tell us about your origin. Let me go back. Let me go back to the beginning. <laughs> uh, as a kid, my stepdad was pretty handy. Uh, he, he built an extension onto our house, and I got to see how that process goes down, and uh, got into a little bit of framing and putting up drywall. So I think early on, I kind of realized, well, these tools can actually do things. Uh, he had a radial a Craftsman radial arm saw in the basement that I wasn't allowed to touch. Uh, there was an old, old, like, you know, the old school, like full metal body, like just looks like a giant bullet casing routers. Uh, oh yeah. I've got one. <laughs> yeah. Those are awesome. Um, he had one of those and I had no idea what it did. I did one time turn it on and kind of lost control of it. So, um, the funny thing is I don't think he ever used the router either. I'm pretty sure that that was like given to him by someone and he just, cause he didn't want to throw it away, held on to it. I don't think I've ever seen him use a router, uh, even to this day. Uh, but I think that influenced me early on to understand what tools were and to realize I could get things done. So I was pretty handy as a kid and a teenager. I would build little boxes and hide stuff in the ground, um, like just stupid things. I would just put in these boxes and bury them in the backyard. I built speaker boxes for my truck once I got to the point that I could drive. I built animal enclosures for pets, the reptiles and snakes and things that I would have as a kid. Um, and I was a, I played drums. So I had band practice was always at my house. So we wanted to build a sort of a soundproof or at least as good as we can get it soundproof area of my basement. So we erected a few extra walls, built a little platform floor. Um, this is all stuff that I was doing before I was 18 years old. So I kind of had that handy bug, like, that can do sort of attitude that comes with a lot of woodworkers and people who get into DIY stuff. So of course, when, um, bought my first house, it <laughs> sounds like a very common thread <laughs> between the three of us, all the, the sort of projects around the house, baseboards, you know, moldings, uh, casing around doors, just little things here and there that we had to do that made me look into higher level stuff, you know, more than just framing a wall. And, uh, that, that went really well. All the house projects went really well. It was very encouraging, but now I had some of these tools, like for instance, the table saw that, uh, everybody chipped in and bought me a uh, craftsman contractor saw that after the flooring project was done, this thing's just sitting there. And I'm like, well, uh, I guess I should 
think of something to do with that, maybe. And uh, so I would watch, you know, New Yankee Workshop, and uh, the biggest influence was David Marks on Woodworks. It, it kind of was like, I would watch the New Yankee Workshop and go, ah, oh, this is so fun to watch. I really enjoy watching this. I have zero interest in building that thing. Like, <laughs> none whatsoever. Norm looks like a great guy to hang out with and uh, share a grape soda with, but I don't want to build his furniture. When I saw uh, David was when I started to to realize that wood furniture can can be what I would consider beautiful. Um, I had a very, you know, quote unquote, modern tastes and wood furniture just wasn't even in the vocabulary at the time. So seeing what David built really was transformative for me and said, well, you know what? I wouldn't mind making something that looked like that. Um, that's pretty cool looking. That's exotic. So I just started uh, picking up a couple plans here and there, making things that I thought were somewhat appealing. And uh, my first project was a little uh, nightstand uh, with a, didn't even have a drawer. Yeah, it did. Had a basic drawer built it from a plan, was actually biscuit construction, which was cool. So I was able to buy a biscuit joiner and thought I was you know, kind of a badass. And uh, well, You are. You I, were. Definitely I, st- I still biscuit. am because I still yes. have that biscuit joiner. There you go. Yeah. So I built that thing and it turned out pretty well. In fact, uh, good friends of ours that live in uh, Kansas City still have that, that nightstand and still use it. So that's kind of <laughs> cool. Um, and you know what? It was one of those things eventually, you know, like you were saying, Matt, I got obsessed with this stuff. I was just consuming every little bit of woodworking media I could get my hands on and just could not get enough of it. Um, Jesus, such a long story. Uh, so then I just kind of fast forwarded. I had an opportunity to work with uh, David Marks and take a class with him. And that was all Nicole. I, she knew how much I like worshiped the guy and basically just kind of wrote him an email and got in touch with him and said, Hey, my husband's interested. And it was just as he was starting to teach classes in his shop. So I got in like super early, hit it off with the dude, made plans to come back and work with him as long as I could stay away, you know, afford to be away from home. And then eventually that led into a career transition to become, you know, a woodworker and have a, my own, my own business building furniture because, uh, I just felt confident in the, the projects I built for coworkers and small projects I did for money. Suddenly I was realizing, well, look, you know, I, I can actually build stuff that's better than the things they can buy in a store may not be able to compete with that price, but I could build them something that's going to last longer. Is it as good as David Marks? Hell no. You know, is it as good as like a lot of these other people who've been doing this longer? No. But could I still provide a service for people I know and make a go of it? Yeah, I could. And I honestly was just that uh, confident enough in myself. And Nicole helped me to be confident enough in myself to make that big fat transition. Uh, scary, scary stuff, leaving science behind and just saying, I'm going to be a woodworker now. So, uh, yes, right. Yeah, yeah, I can no totally kidding. see that. Yeah, I, I was terrified, you know, and the thing is, I was raised in a family where you, uh, you know, you work hard, you go to school, you learn the thing you said you were going to learn and you get a job in that area and you don't leave it. You know, if you've got a perfectly good job, what kind of moron quits it and says, I'm going to go do woodworking. <laughs> you know? well, so, I, I get, we have the same thing when Sam actually took the, the big plunge to become a photographer. That was exactly the same thing. It's like, so you're saying you're going to give up a steady paycheck to go follow your dream. How does that work? Because yeah. that has never been a reality. How do, I, how do I fit into this equation? Yeah. I mean, yeah. fortunately, Nicole was my, my biggest um, proponent. She, she was the champion who was behind me the whole way and just encouraged me to do it and took a chance on me, you know, and then said, I believe that no matter what you decide to put your mind to, you're going to be successful at it. So do it and, you know, do it well. Now, the reality is it took a long time before I got to a point where I could prove her right. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> you know, we were very, uh, you know, just touch and go there for quite a long time. Um, but the podcasting thing happened and that was the biggest uh, change in the direction I was going to go, the fork in the road. And I chose a particular direction and here I am today. 
Um, I would definitely say to answer that same question about podcasting, um, my answer is a little bit different. Uh, Teaching has definitely given me an opportunity to perfect certain things and to get better at a a few things, but I feel like it's actually been detrimental to my growth as a woodworker. Um, The amount of, I was actually making more progress doing custom furniture for people than I am now teaching it. And it's because the, a couple different reasons, the teaching process slows me down dramatically. Um, just filming and editing uh, compared to when I would be able to spend, you know, weeks privately perfecting something like if, you know, you're talking about uh, marketry, Shannon, um, mm-hmm. if you are presenting things as you go, compare that progress to what if you were just working by yourself and you're, you're batching out as many of these things as you can to get better and keep practicing and get better and better. You would probably get better faster if you weren't telling people about it the whole time. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to change my answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, so the, it's grat- that, and that, that I don't mean to Great. sound like now it, I feel bad. Well, it's not that it's not gratifying. We love what we do. We wouldn't do it otherwise. Uh, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, leave this world as a less, I'm going to say this in a really bad way, but uh, not as good of a woodworker, but having influenced, you know, thousands of other people to get into the craft, than be a much better woodworker and influence no one. Well, you know, I think that actually will be on my tombstone. He inspired and influenced many, but have you seen his crap? He wasn't so great himself, but he made a lot of people great. He made a lot we don't, of great we, people. We always joke around about the fact that, like, when we don't film something, we feel guilty about it. But yeah. it's amazing how much uh, how faster it goes. And sometimes for me, I feel like it's so much better because I am not overthinking. Like, okay, now how am I going to show this just the right way? I just do it. Yeah, and yeah. then I get the result that I want. And then I'm, then there's that part of me that goes, "Man, I wish I'd have caught that on camera." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it took me about three months to knock out, maybe a little bit more, to knock out this chest of drawers and nightstands. I'm doing this full time. If I were doing this full time and had no camera to worry about and no documentation to worry about, I probably would have had the whole thing done in less than a month. And I would have had two more months to work on other things and to move on to whatever that next thing is. So I, I go through this you know, thing with no illusions about where I am in my woodworking. Um, but I would say without a doubt that the, the podcasting aspect of things definitely holds me back um, in terms of my personal growth. But I, I honestly wouldn't have any other, any other way. I mean, my legacy will not be my woodworking. My legacy will be the teaching, um, the videos that I've made. And I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly happy with that. It, it is and, kind of interesting because it, to me, it, it reflects a perspective of somebody that did go pro for a while yeah. um, and, and saw what it was like to, and it's not about, you know, paying the bills, but working building stuff nine to five and getting the project out for the customer. That's the goal. It's not the journey, right? It's getting it finished and getting paid as compared to Matt and I, who came at it purely from the hobbyist perspective. We never really had that. I'm on the clock. Now, granted, both of us have built stuff on commission before, but it's always been, this is what I do to relax. This is what I do when I get home from my job, you know? So that, that drive, I think, is a little bit different. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, you're bringing up a point that actually I hadn't really thought about, but it's, it's kind of the um, kind of works counter to what I said in a sense, because if I were just building for clients, the reality of that life is that I'm not building Wengi and Babinga projects mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. I'm building kitchen cabinets. I'm building pantries. I'm building whatever weird cabinet thing someone needs because I need the money. I'm also doing refinishing because I need the money. So I may, even though I may work slower now, the projects I work on 
are projects I actually want to work on. And, and if I want to do something different and include something that has marketry, I can do that. The problem is I just don't have as much free time to practice the techniques that might be included to get really good at them and show off a little bit as I'm, you know, showing people and build that experience level because of the variety issue. I can't stay on the same thing too long. Otherwise, I leave people behind. But I have to wonder, I don't know that I would necessarily even be better off had I just stayed building custom furniture on a pro level because I'm building things that I have no interest in just because I need to pay the bills. So I might actually be better off doing this than uh, than being a pro woodworker, even though I might get more projects done that way. Well, the, the pro woodworker aspect, I mean, what you just described, it's the same thing with any job. It's a job then. It's not yeah. the passion thing where like mm-hmm. with the, the podcasting or anything else, we have that opportunity to inject the passion in there because we do direct quite a bit of what we want to do with this. So it's like, as you said, you know, I can, I can try something completely different or I can go in whatever direction I want to, but it's not the same old, same old every single time. Yeah. Well, I know one thing I will say for sure that with the podcast, like I said, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've pushed myself uh, probably faster than I would have if I would have done it just organically. Or actually, the more I think about it, it's very possible that I might be holding myself back a little bit, but I don't think so. I don't know. I just hired myself in a circle there. <laughs> One way or the other, I'm going to get to where I am and I'm going to get to where I'm going to be going. And I just, you know, yeah, bring the, the crowd along with me. Well, and think about it too, as a, as a hobby, and this is why I really encourage as many people as possible to blog and podcast and make videos or whatever. Um, as a hobby, you tend to lose interest in things quickly. But if you were in a community that's interested in that same thing, I find that it's yeah. a little bit, there's a little bit more stickiness to it mm-hmm. so that if you're writing about it and you've, you know, maybe developed a small audience around your blog or the videos that you do, um, that may be the thing that keeps you going back in the shop and keeps you interested to push you through those moments when you might have in the past said, Hmm, I'm going to check out photography or I'm going to start painting, you know, Um, not not that you want to force yourself into it, but there's other elements around a hobby that kind of encourage you to stay with it. Um, So I think, yeah, documenting this stuff. I mean, Matt, busy time, let's say, uh, you know, work is stressful. The kids are driving you nuts. Um, Might there have been times where you would have walked away from woodworking for a year, but because you do a podcast, you didn't? Oh, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) uh, I've been podcasting. Wasn't that like every fall? That, yeah, when Matt would have his menopause well, moment, menopause. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like, remember in the early days, we, you and I used to take the summer off. We had our yep. summer hiatus. That's and right. There was there was that part of me that was like part of the reason why I took the summer hiatus was because not only did the traffic die, but I would have died. <laughs> would have kept on going. <laughs> Matt needed the break. The, those early days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about the summer hiatus. Hey, let's do another one. What do you think? Yeah, that works for me. What do you guys want to start? Like uh, June, May? Uh, uh, no, we next, want a college next schedule. Next week would be good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up. Hopefully this was interesting and not terrible to listen to. Um, if, and again, if it is, blame Brian. But uh, yeah, go. Exactly. doing the best we can here. Just remember he's a sponsor and we have to satisfy our sponsors. <laughs> That's right. All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll let them get back to their weekend. All right. Hey, folks, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, or maybe you want a really uh, long-winded origination story, uh, <laughs> we'd be more than happy to accommodate you. You can Several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show, show notes or downloads from today's show, previous episodes, or you too want to give us a little change and ask us a question that's going to make a long-winded show for the, just before the weekend, <laughs> you can find that over at woodtalkshow.com. 
Sounds good. All right. Well, and write in with your origin stories, but only if it features one of us as your inspiration. (laughs) Yeah, please. (laughs) That's all we're interested in. Just make us feel better about ourselves. I really got into it because I saw Matt and I said, if that moron can do it, I (laughs) I can do it too. Anybody can do this. There's another uh, thing for your tombstone, Matt. If this moron can do it, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I think that one's already made. There you go. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.